Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. Thank God for another season. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books in the Bible. Not just one scripture, full chapters. And of course, I share my commentary while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every word of scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's grow in faith while we learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Not my will, Lord, but God's will be done by giving our lives to his son, Jesus the Christ. Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. I am your host and I am your teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Now, we have embarked on episode 8 of this 36 to 46 week series entitled, Search the Scriptures. They lead you to Jesus. Now, our foundational scripture, I'm not going to go there today, is found in John chapter 5 verses 39 and 40, where Jesus was talking to some unbelieving Pharisees and they were getting on him. Can you imagine that? Getting on the Messiah about healing someone on the Sabbath day. And Jesus is the Sabbath day. He is our peace and our rest. And he told them to search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, but it is they, they what? The scriptures that testify of me. Verse 40 says that, but you will not come to me that you may have life. So that is what we are doing. We are searching the scriptures in the Old Testament, which is also called the Hebrew scriptures, finding Jesus. So episode seven, we talked about um, toward the end, Jesus being the tabernacle. Uh, God gave Moses uh, specific orders to build a tabernacle in the wilderness for the children of Israel to gather and worship him or to bring their sacrifices to the uh, high priest Aaron. And that was temporary. It was temporary until the real tabernacle arrived. And the real tabernacle is Jesus. So, um... With that said, I am continuing to use the NIV as the lead Bible. If you hear some noise, that is me adjusting the microphone. But I may uh, use the New King James today or the ESV or maybe another translation. It just depends on how I feel because I've read all of them. And uh, whichever one I think best represents the original scriptures, which um, comes from the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew scriptures, I'll uh, switch and read that version. So with that said, uh, we are still in the book of Exodus chapter 25, and I need you to go to verses eight and nine. If not, 
Remember, I have an electronic Bible. I have uh, several electronic devices so I can switch to Bibles, you know, at will. You can pause the tape when you come back. I'll be reading. So this is Exodus chapter 25. I'm reading from the NIV. Unless I say otherwise, it's the NIV. So I won't have to keep saying that. And I am reading verses 8 and 9. Then have them make a sanctuary for me. This is God talking to Moses. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Now, the tabernacle was placed in the center of God's people as they camped around it. And you can read Numbers chapter uh, 1, verses 50. Now, in the same way Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. I often start off prayer like that. Now, that's the uh, New King James or the traditional King James where Jesus, because sometimes I start quoting scripture and I forget which version I'm using, but that was the King James. I'll say it again. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, in it, sacrifices, and when I say in it, I'm talking about the tabernacle, sacrifices of animals were made, typifying the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Now, this tent of meeting was also where the Levitical priesthood received its daily food. Mm -hmm. And we believers are priests of Christ, according to 1 Peter 2 and 5, and receive our daily bread from our bread of life. John 6.35 tells us that. Now, there was only a single door to the tabernacle as there is only one way to enter the, enter the kingdom of God. As Jesus said in John 10, verse 9, my Lord, I am the door. I am the door. Now, why would Jesus say he is the door? He didn't say he's one of the doors. He is saying that I am the door. Now, the only way to get to God is through Jesus. Honey, you can fall out, roll all over the floor and and call up other uh, religious folks and, oh, Dr. Kamaladee is saying Jesus is the only way to get to God. I had someone over the weekend, and I'm not going to labor on this a long time. Um, they, follow, they are following this series, and they follow my ministry page. I had referred to me as a false teacher. Unbelievable. But it made me feel kind of good because they referred to Jesus as somebody being a false teacher. And Jesus is the word of God. And uh, I, I responded by sending this individual about 10 scriptures supporting everything I say. And I haven't heard from them since. Now, this was someone from another country. Mm -hmm. They need Jesus too. My ultimate prayer for them is that they find Jesus before death finds them. Because you can't come back here and get it right, folks. You got to get this right today. And we, we will uh, stumble on some scriptures about that during this episode. So let me uh, repeat this in, uh, in case we missed it because I digressed a, a little bit. This tent of meeting was also where the Levitical priesthood received their daily food. Now, 
John 6.35 also says that there was uh, only a single door to the tabernacle as there is only one way to enter the kingdom of God. Now, as Jesus said in John 10.9, I am the door. Or again, he says in John 14, 6, which is my favorite scripture throughout the entire Bible. And that is um, involving Old Testament and New Testament scriptures. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one or either no man comes to the father except through me. Now, how can you misunderstand that? You either hear it and reject it or you hear it and receive it. That's up to you. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hallelujah. Now that solitary door was placed on the east side of the tabernacle. It was directly in front of the tribe of Judah's camping place. Okay. Now Numbers 2 and verse 3 coupled with Exodus uh, 27 verses 12 and 17 tells us this. Now this arrangement meant that Anyone entering the tabernacle had to do so through the tribe of Judah. They had to enter that tabernacle directly in front of the tribe of Judah's camping place. Mm-hmm. Anyone that had to enter the tabernacle today have to go through the tribe of Judah. Okay. Now, Jesus was to come from the tribe of Judah, as we have seen in chapter 23. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. T tell me this. Why is Jesus known as the lion of the tribe of Judah? We need to know what a lion is. The lion is the king of the jungle, right? It's because Jesus is the king of his kingdom. He is the king of God's kingdom. He is the king of Judah. He is the king of Israel. He is the one that every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. He is king of kings. And he is Lord of all lords. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. Now, in Revelation 5 and 5, it says also, Lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, as spoken, you know, in Revelations. The um, John, the uh, revelator, and he's also John Mark. He is not uh, John the Baptist, did not write the book of Revelation. Jesus gave it to John Mark. Um, he spoke of this in Revelation 5, 5. Now, the tabernacle area was completely enclosed by a high curtain. It was held up by silver poles and bases. The curtain created an outer courtyard of approximately 75 feet in width by 100 feet in depth. Okay. Now, upon entering this courtyard by the single gate, a visitor encountered first a bronze altar, which we will discuss in chapter 43, and moving on, the visitor would see the bronze laver. And that's in uh, chapter 44. Now, in the center of the courtyard stood a large tent. It was 15 feet wide by 45 feet long and 15 feet tall. It had two rooms. And they were the outer holy place and the inner holy of holies. Now, the planning and construction of the tabernacle covers Exodus um, chapters 25 through chapters 31, plus chapters 35 through uh, chapter 40. Now, they are bridged by the tragic story of the golden calf and its aftermath. Now, the first section deals with God giving Moses the exact parameters of the tabernacle's construction. 
its furniture and priestly garments. Now the tabernacle was designed in heaven. Then in the final six chapters, we are given the account of the actual uh, making of, of or the construction on earth. Now we learned in chapter 31 um, verses uh, one through four in chapter 31 of Exodus. Okay. Since we are in Exodus, if I just start calling out chapters, I'm talking about Exodus, unless I say something different. We learned this. Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have chosen Bezael, son of Uri, the son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. Now we have here a wonderful picture of the spirit of God bringing the tabernacle into fruition, if you will. It should by no stretch of the imagination for us to understand that the tabernacle represents our Lord Jesus, who from all eternity was in covenant with the father to redeem the human race and who was born into this world by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now in the bridge chapters of Exodus 32 through 34, these are chapters. The truth about fallen humans contain that. Okay. You may recall that Moses had gone to the top of Mount Sinai to meet with God and to receive his commandments. Meanwhile, the people grew restless and they started pressuring Aaron, who was the high priest, Moses, his brother, into creating a golden cap out of their earrings. I don't know how on earth these people had convinced Aaron to do it. Maybe he was scared of those people. Like today, you see people out there marching against uh, justice. I'm not scared of them. No, I'm not scared of them because God is a God of justice. God is not a, a God of injustice. God doesn't create injustice. Okay. And these people were able to pressure Aaron into making and creating a golden, uh, golden calf out of their earrings. Now they bowed down to um, the calf and they started worshiping it you know, working themselves into a, a frenzy. Now we too are idol makers. Uh-huh. And I don't, don't, I don't mean me. I'm just including me uh, as I give this illustration. While God in his grace, he prepared a great salvation for us. We are not satisfied with that. We want it to do, we want to do it ourselves. We want a golden calf. We want an idol we can control one created in our own image. That's what a lot of people do today because they don't know this word. What they will do is, well, not doing it on their, put it this way. They're not being led by their themselves. They are listening to the devil. They will say things like, yeah, God is not going to forgive him. Uh-uh. No, the God you created in your mind is not going to forgive that person. Yeah, that's what I mean by we create gods in our, uh, you know, in our image, in the image of our flesh. God is not flesh. God is spirit. Uh-huh, he is not flesh. Now, unless God's spirit brings us to faith, we want nothing to do with a holy God and his holy commandments. No, we don't want nobody telling us anything. Um, Go to, I don't want to digress too much. So go to Exodus. Um, we're going to stay in chapter 25. I think I'll read verses 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11. 
And this is God still talking to uh, Moses about the tabernacle. Um, have them make a chest of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubic and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it. Now, the very first article described by God in, in um, the pattern for the tabernacle was a big box. It was approximately four feet long by two and a half feet deep and wide. It was the central article of furniture in the Holy of Holies. Now, God described the specifications of the ark first because it was to be the most important part of the tabernacle. Now, the ark was to be where God was to reside among his people. It was to make... Um, uh, it was to be made of, of, of wood called shittim. It's, it's shittim wood. It's a type of acacia tree found in the uh, arid desert. Now, this acacia wood, now known as acacia sayal, is a hardwood that is not subject to decay, nor is not subject to decomposition either. Now, this wood formed the super, the superstructure for the ark, and it speaks of Christ humanity. In his stunning prophecy of our Lord Jesus, Isaiah equates this wood with Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 2 says, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. And that's Isaiah 53 too. Now like the acacia wood, neither was Jesus subject to decay. And you can read that in Acts chapter 2 verse 27 coupled with Psalm 16 10. Mm -hmm. The ark was to be covered with gold, which speaks of the deity of our Lord Jesus. Now while the wood created the configuration of the enclosure, the gold covered the wood completely. And so it was and is today. Okay, a man was born in Bethlehem and he resides bodily in heaven today, seated in majesty at the God's right hand. Now, the ark is a portrait of the God man, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the union of the divine and the human. He is entirely divine, yet entirely human. It is hard for the human mind to grasp that. But that's why the Bible says, lean not on your own understanding. It's not your job to understand it. You're just supposed to believe it. Okay. Now, what was to be the uh, placed in the ark? Hmm. What should be placed in the ark? Now, we have already discussed two of the articles, a jar or, or bowl of manna. That's in chapter 31. And the two tablets of the law, which is in chapter 33. Now, we will discuss the third article, Aaron's Rod, that budded in more detail um, what we just read and, and later in this uh, episode. Now, the manna was contained in a golden jar. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 4 speaks of it. Now, of course, the manna depicts Jesus as the bread of heaven. In John 6 41, Jesus says this, I am, and the emphasis is mine the bread that came down from heaven. Now the two tablets of the law speak of Christ's righteousness and his ability to keep every commandment perfectly. Now I want you to remember these tablets are the second tablets that Jehovah had Moses engrave. 
Now, the first set inscribed by God himself was destroyed by Moses after he came down from the mountain and saw the people in great sin with their golden calf idol. Now, why he didn't get mad at Aaron, I don't know. Now, the broken tablets speak to our unrighteousness, okay, and uh, uh, a need for a savior. That savior is Jesus. Now, Aaron's rod was covered not only with buds, but had blossomed and produced almonds. That's in uh, Numbers chapter 17, verse 8. It speaks to resurrection and renewal. It had been just an, an old dead rod, yet it represented Aaron's authority as high priest and authority that Korah and his followers had questioned. Now, out of its deadness, it was uh, resurrected, if you will. Of course, this speaks of our Lord who rose again and of those who trust in him. Now, these things then set forth Jesus' three offices. Okay, now here we go. I'm going to explain in detail what the three offices are. Prophet, Jesus' ministry was that of a prophet when he, he walked this earth. He was priest. He was the final high priest. Okay, and he was king. Now, the tablets of the law indicate the prophet. Now, prophets speak the words of God to the people. And Aaron's rod shows Jesus's role as priest. Now, priests mediate between the people and God. That was the job of the priest. Now, Jesus as high priest would suffer death for his people, but would rise again so that they might have eternal life. Now, finally, the manna foreshadows Jesus's office as king. Now, for those who don't know what the office of a king is supposed to be, kings find out what their people need and he get it for them. Kings don't just rule over people and mistreating them. Kings are supposed to find out what the people need and he's supposed to get it for them. Now, by his wonderful providence, Jesus provides for all our needs. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The ark was the only piece of furniture from the tabernacle that was transferred into Solomon's temple when it was built in Jerusalem. It was the only piece. Now, it is called many things in scripture, but its principal name in Exodus is called the ark of the testimony. It is a wonderful testimonial uh, um, to the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, now um, we are still in Exodus 25, and now I'm going to read verses 17 through 22. Okay, verse 17. Now I will name 22 when I get to it. I just don't like calling out the numbers when I can just read it. You guys, if you are following in your Bible, especially if you have the NIV, you see exactly where I'm going. But verse 17, make an atonement cover of pure gold. This is God still talking to Moses. Two and a half cubic long and a cubic and a half wide and make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the end of the cover. Make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put it in the ark of the testimony, which I will give you. Now, this is verse 22, the last one. There, above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. 
Now, what did I say? What did God say to Moses? I will give you all of my commands for the Israelites. That's Exodus chapter 25, verse 22. For the Israelites. He didn't say for the Gentiles. He didn't say for everybody in the whole world. He said for the Israelites. Okay. Now, the ark of the testimony was covered with a solid gold lid. That lid was known commonly as the mercy seat. Now, you can see in um, the King James Version, for instance. Now, the NIV, which is sometimes why I switch Bibles, all of them are not as accurate. Okay. It, in verse 17, calls it a, a caparet. That's what the NIV calls it. And it's supposed to be the mercy seat, which is correct. Now, this is translated with the Greek word halisterion. Now, it's called halisterion. It means atonement cover. Now, the Hebrew word is the Hebrews, uh, is in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 5, also in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Halisterion means a place of propitiation or appeasement, okay? It was on this covering that the blood of animals was sprinkled once a year as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the Israelites, okay? And Hebrews chapter 9 and 7 also talks about that. Now, this golden slab hidden in the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle represented God's mercy to his people. Now, the cover had the same horizontal dimensions as the ark did. It was hammered out all in one piece with two cherubim facing each other, each with its wings spread upward. Now, this is the second time the cherubim is mentioned in the Bible. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, we read these words. After he drove Adam out, he placed on, on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword, flaming back and forth to God the way to the tree of life. Now, we already know um, that the tree of life represents Jesus because Jesus is the tree. He is the tree of life. Um, now, in other places of scripture, we see cherubim associated with God's throne and his glory. They represent for us God's judgment and divine authority. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, and Ezekiel chapter 10, for instance, you can read about that. Write that down and you can read about it. Because if I were to read everything to you that I studied, we'll be here four or five hours. Now, they speak of God's holiness versus man's sin. And they God God's holiness. Okay? Yeah, that's what the cherubim, the wings of the cherubim does. It, they God God's holiness. Now, here in a solid gold cover, we have a picture of God's judgment and his mercy joined together. Where else in the history of redemption do we see God's mercy and judgment coincide in one place in one event? Can you tell me that? Where else can we see it? We can see it only at the cross. Mm -hmm. The judgment of the father was poured out on the son to satisfy his justice so that his church might receive mercy. That's us. How can you reject Jesus? A ask me that. How can you reject Jesus? Now, inside the ark, as we have seen, lay the two stone tablets on which were called the law of God by Moses' hand. Okay? The mercy seat hid them from view, just as God's mercy in Christ hides us from the judgment of our sins against that same law. In 1 Samuel 6, we have the story of the ark being returned from its captivity 
at the hands of the Philistines. Now, those of you who um don't know about that story, I read the entire um chat uh book of first and second Samuel where we talk about that because the ark was stolen at one point. Um but in 1 Samuel 6, chapter 19, verse 20, let me read this. God struck down some of the Israelite men of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. The men of Beth Shemesh asked, who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? The men had exposed themselves to the judgment of the law by removing the atoning cover they separated mercy from judgment and suffered the consequences for it. Mm -hmm. Now the mercy seat was the only seat in the tabernacle. On it, God sat enthroned in the midst of his people. Second Samuel 6, 2. Mm. Now it was hidden from view in the Holy of Holies, a place where God met with the people only through the high priest at that time. Now in the same way, our great high priest Jesus sits at the throne of grace in heaven, seen only by the eye of faith. Now you got to remember when Jesus died on that cross, the veil that separates the Holy of Holies from the, the uh, front of the tabernacle, because the Holy of Holies is where the, uh, the high priest was to go only to sacrifice the sins for the people, the Israelites. That veil tore in half from top to bottom making the Holy of Holies available for you and I to go directly there to talk to God. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what he did for us. We don't need a priest to go in there for us. Jesus is our atoning sacrifice, so we don't have to bring no animal blood. We can go right there and talk to God ourselves. Now, finally, the mercy seat was a place of communion between God and his people. Now, through their mediator, of course, God said in Exodus 25, 22, um, as we, we just read there above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. Mm -hmm. Now God spoke to his people. He guided them in the wilderness experience in the same way our Lord Jesus speaks to us through his word and guides us by his spirit. And I will say today, Lord, have mercy. May God have mercy on us. Yes, may God have mercy on us. Now, go to chapter, um, yeah, we're going to stay in Exodus 25, and I'm going to read verses 23. Um, let me see, 23, 24, 25, and 26. 23 through uh, verses 26, okay? Verse 23, God is still talking to Moses. Make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits long, a cubic wide, and a cubic and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold and make a gold molding around it. Also make around it a rim of hand bread wide and put a gold molding on the rim. And uh, verse 26, put the bread of the presence of this table to be before me at all times. Now, while the ark stood behind the veil in the Holy of Holies, the table stood with the lampstand and the altar of incense in the holy place, just outside of the Holy of Holies. Now, the table was the same height as the ark and was also constructed of or made of acacia wood with an overlayment of pure gold. As in the ark, 
The wood and gold speak of Jesus's perfect humanity and deity. Now, two natures in one person without confusion. Now, the table speaks of communion and fellowship. Just as 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 21 says, this is our apostle Paul's talking. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Mm, mm, I, I, I know I struck home there. In other words, you can't have communion or fellowship with Christ and Satan. You can't do it. Excuse me. Now, when we are called to the Lord's Supper in our worship times, we think of being invited to the Lord's table. It is the place where we remember Christ's sacrifice for us. Well, that's what it's supposed to mean. And, and we can grow in grace as we partake of spiritual food and the bread of wine. Now, in the same way, the table in the holy place held the bread of the presence. Now, it was made of pure, refined, unleavened flour. That's in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 5. Now, this showbread was to be baked into 12 loaves of equal size and placed on the table in two equal rows of six. Let me let me take a drink right here. You got <coughs> my throat is dry. <coughs> Excuse me. Ooh. Boy, I tell you. Now, <coughs> it was to be placed on the table in two equal rows of six. It was to remain before the Lord for a period of seven days, replaced each Sabbath. Okay, then it could be taken away and eaten by the priest of Levi, the Levitical priesthood. Now, no wine was on the table in the holy place. Wine in the Lord's Supper points back to the blood of Christ, which we have seen earlier. Now, it portrayed in the uh, tabernacle by the sprinkling of animal blood on the mercy seat on the day of atonement. But bread was laid out on the table and that bread clearly points to our Lord who said in John 6 35, I am the bread of life. Now I want you to notice in Exodus 25 verse 25 that a rim was to be fashioned around the table. It was to be a hand bread wide, the width of a human hand. Now, it kept the bread from falling off the table. Yeah, it served its purpose. And it speaks of our eternal security in Christ who says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. Now, the 12 loaves of bread speak of God's covenant people. Now, although the 12 tribes were of different sizes, and had different assignments and roles, the loaves are the same size, weight, and quality. This tells us that the ground is leveled at the foot of the cross. All God's people are equal in the eyes of God. Did you hear what I just said? All of God's people are equal in the eyes of God. Now, the loaves are also laid out in, in two rows of six. None of the tribes had greater standing than the others. All were equally near God's heart. Now, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. Hallelujah. We all partake of Jesus. That's right. 
That is right. We all partake of one God. That's Jesus. Now, perhaps it seems to you that um, I may have mixed up uh, my metaphors. Mm -mm. I said on one hand that the bread stands for Christ. And then I turned around and said that the bread on the table speaks of his covenant people. So I guess you wonder, which is it? It's both. Yes, it is both. Now, have you ever heard of um, the secular saying, you are what you eat? Now, while that statement should be rightly questioned in the physical world, it is true in the spiritual world. Okay, to be like Christ should be every Christian's goal. Now, in order to grow to be like Jesus, we must feed on him by eating his word and his supper. We already have the down payment of the goal. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has become or the new has come. Now, God said, put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. That's Exodus 25, 30 that I read. Now, this speaks to God accepting us eternally when he said, um, put the bread on the table to be before me at all times. This speaks of God's accepting us eternally because the father's delight is in his son. Okay, this thing is all about Jesus. It ain't about us. I'm telling you. Now, that's how he sees us. He sees us through what Jesus did on that cross. He can't look at us. We are all sinners. Yes, we are all sinners. But in Christ, God sees us as being perfect human beings because he sees his son as being perfect. Uh, now, I know that might be hard for some of you to take, but you know what? You need to think about that. You need to think about that, but don't think on it too much. It'll drive you crazy because you are trying to understand this with your human mind and it ain't going to work. Ain't going to happen, Captain. It is not going to happen. Now, we have a, a, a wonderful riches of the word of God, okay, and of our salvation, which is only in God's grace. Only, saints. Now, Exodus uh, 25 verses 31 through 39, I will be reading. It says this, make a lampstand of pure gold and hammer it out, base and shaft. It's flower-like cups, buds and blossoms shall be on one piece with it. That was verse 31. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flour. Flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on one branch, three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lamp stand. And on the lamp stand, there are to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. Only buds shall be under the first pair of branches extending from lamp stand, um, extending from the lamp stand a second bud under the second pair, and a third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and branches shall all be of one piece with the lampstand, hammered out of pure gold. Then make it seven lamps and set them up on, its, on it so that they light the space in front of it. Let me read um, verse uh, 37 again. Then make it seven lamps and set them up on it so that they light the space in front of it. Verse 38. It, its wick 
trimmers, and trays are to be of pure gold. Uh, verse 39, finally, a talent of pure gold is to be used for the lampstand and all these accessories. Now, the King James Version of the Bible and some other translations wrongly, do you hear me? Wrongly calls the lampstand a candlestick. That's incorrect, people. The original Hebrew writing says lampstand. A lampstand is not a candle. It's not a candlestick. Now, there were no candles in the tabernacle. Now, as we are told definitively that oil would be the fuel burned to bring light to the holy place. That's in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 2. Now, the lampstand was the, or either one of the three objects in the holy place, the others being the table of showbread, which we've just discussed, and the altar of incense. The room was separated by a veil from the holy of holies and was the place where the Levites served every day. Now, I want you to notice that we are given no measurements for the lampstand. It was to be hammered out of a talon of pure gold, about 120 pounds. Again, gold speaks to us of Jesus's divinity as fully God and fully man. I feel like I'm catching a cold, uh, saints. Now, it must have been very large because it was situated opposite the table. It was to shed its light on the table. Now, while the table and its bread shows us Jesus as the meat of our faith, the person we feed upon for, for uh, substance and growth, the lampstand portrays Christ as the source of strength for our faith. Now, as he gives us light for the journey, absolutely. The altar of incense speaks of Christ's intercessory his intercessory work for us in heaven. Now we feed on Jesus. We receive light through his word and grace through his intercession for us. Okay. His intercession for us. Now, while Jesus is truly the light of the world, John 8, 12, the light from the lampstand is more like that described in Proverbs uh, chapter four, verses 18 and 19. And it says this, the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Now, the lamps were to be lit at night. And Exodus chapter 27 verse 21 talks about that. To give light to the darkness of the holy place. The light emitted almost speaks of our own time between the first and the second advents, when Christ through his spirit helps his people in their daily walk with him. Now the lampstand had seven bowls or cups, um, which oil was placed and lit to emit light. Now in scripture or oil, some people say, Earl, Earl. <laughs> in scripture, oil often portrays the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus told the parable of the 10 virgins, and I want y'all to listen to this carefully because this speaks of people who, if you don't accept Christ before death catches up with you, what's going to happen to you? So Matthew chapter 25, okay? Matthew 25 verse 10 says this. This is Jesus given this parable. Um, in it, five of the women failed to bring oil to the wedding feast. So, so listen to this. 
But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The bridegroom represents Jesus. The bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Did you hear what I just said? And the door was shut. This is Jesus giving this parable. That's Matthew 25, 10. Now the spirit of Christ is spoken of in the oil and in the light. But those who were procrastinating, if you will, they were late going and get the oil for the lamp. The door was shut. It was too late for them. Okay. And that door could not be reopened. So if, if uh, you haven't accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it'll be too late when death catch up with you. Well, I'm telling you, uh, you better uh, pay attention to these scriptures. Now, like Aaron's rod that budded, now it flowered and bore fruit. Also, the lampstand had buds. It blossoms and fruit almonds. As in the rod inside the ark, the lampstand speaks of Jesus's resurrection and of our sanctification in Christ. We are only sanctified in Christ. Okay. And sanctification means we are set aside in Christ. Now in our immaturity, if you will, we bud, then blossom and ultimately bear mature fruit to the glory of God. Now I want you to notice finally that the talent of gold is beaten into the shape God has ordained to hammer an intricate shape as the shape of a menorah took God-given skill. It speaks of the, the beating that our Lord took in his death, ordained in eternity. Hallelujah. His face was marred beyond recognition. But as Paul had told us in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, saints. Hallelujah. Now, um, Let's talk about, uh, go, I want you to go to Exodus chapter 26. Yes. And I'm going to read verses one through three. We're going to talk about the righteous King of heaven, Jesus being our righteous King of heaven. Okay. Uh, verses one through three, Exodus chapter 26, make the tabernacle with 10 curtains of finely twisted linen and blue purple and scarlet yarn with cherubim worked into them by a skilled craftsman. And you know, God already ordained that craftsman out of the tribe of Judah to build this curtain. Okay. Uh, verse two, all the curtains are to be the same size, 28 cubits long and four cubits wide. Verse three, join five of the curtains together and do the same with the other five. Now, as I talked about earlier, the tabernacle in the wilderness was a structure that could be dismantled, moved, and set up again. Yes, it pictured the earthly reign of Jesus as opposed to his eternal reign, which was to be portrayed in the, the, the latter um, uh, temple in Jerusalem. Now, its structure 
was formed with boards made of acacia wood, okay, and covered with four different materials for its roof and sides. Now, the first covering, that which could only be seen from the inside, was made of fine white linen with cherubim embroidered into it of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Now, we will discuss the other outer coverings in the uh, probably the next episode. Now, in Mark 9, verse 3, we read of Jesus' transfiguration on the Mount of Olives. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And again, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 14, we learn of the tribulation saints who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the lamb is Jesus. We are washed white in the blood of Jesus. Okay. That same robe that we will be wearing will be washed white, dazzling white in the blood of Jesus. Now white speaks of righteousness. And here it speaks of Jesus and his life of sinless perfection. Therefore fulfilling the law and becoming our perfect savior. Now Jesus's perfection of holiness was imputed to his church on the cross. Just as our sin was imputed to him. Now, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him, him who Jesus, who had no sin, or your virgin may say, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. In Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. But you have to be in Christ in order to become the righteousness of God. Now, the white linen covering was only seen by Jehovah's priests. That was no accident, saints. It is the same today. Only God's people have a real appreciation for Jesus's perfections. Now, when we assemble to worship on Sundays or Saturdays or Wednesdays or Thursdays, whatever day we choose to uh, assemble, it is Jesus whom we see and praise in sermon, in hymn, in prayer, and in sacrament, okay? Those who have not received God's saving grace in their lives, they will not see Jesus and will have nothing to do with the Savior. Now, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age, and I often repeat this scripture, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But I want you to key in on the first part of 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this age. Who is the God of this age? It's Satan. He has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. These are people who are trying to get to God through up through religion. Yeah. And through some church denominations. And let me say this because this apparently upsets some people when I talk about denominations. Here's the thing. If your denomination is teaching the truth, more power to you. Uh, thank you. You are my sister in Christ. If they are pre preaching the truth. God doesn't have a problem with um, denominations per se. He has a problem what is being taught in denominations. If your teacher or your minister, your pastor, your bishop, your reverend is teaching doctrine, the doctrines of the apostles, the truth, well, then they're doing the right thing. It doesn't matter if you are connected to um, a Baptist church or a Lutheran church or whatever, but they are known not to teach the truth. I'm, I'm telling you, 
Now, let me get back to this so we can close this episode out. On the mercy seat, the cherubims were fashioned out of pure gold, okay? They speak of God's righteous judgment. On the inner covering of the tabernacle, they are incorporated into the fine white linen with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Now, blue, the color blue, portrays heaven. It's only natural to look to the sky above and see you know, um, a, a dark color of uh, blue as being purity. Okay. Now Moses and Aaron and Nabab in um, Exodus 24 verse nine and 10, it says that, uh, Moses, Aaron and Nabab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire clear as the sky itself. Now, sapphires are a brilliant, deep, azure blue color. Now, purple is the color of royalty. It is made by mixing red and blue. Now, we read in John chapter 19, verse 1 and 2, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Now, the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Whose head? Jesus' head, my Lord. They clothed him in a purple robe. Jesus descended from the kingly line of David. We need to understand this. David was king of Israel. He was and is, talking about Jesus, the king of the Jews. Mark chapter 15 verse 26. Now red or scarlet pictures Jesus' suffering while, on, while he was on earth. It is, of course, the color of blood. Now, Christ's blood is the, is the precious substance that is the elemental foundation of our salvation. Now, in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, it says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. And Peter is referring to that handmade tabernacle that God gave Moses to make for the children of Israel in the wilderness that was temporary. Peter says, for you know that it was not with perishable things, because those things eventually perished, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed. You ain't redeemed from no golden statue, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Hallelujah. Now, in the upper room, Jesus celebrated the Passover, the first Lord's Supper with his disciples. And um, Matthew 26, verse 27 and verse 28 says this. Then he took the cup, who? Jesus. He took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them. Who? The disciples. Saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. This is communion for us, those who take it on, you know, um, every first Sunday, every third Sunday. You can take communion every day, according to uh, the Apostle Paul, if you want to, in remembrance of Christ. Um, let's, let me read this again. Then he, Jesus took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it. All of you, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now I want you to notice that Jesus said his blood. Now that cup represents his blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He didn't say all, he said many, because not everybody is going to accept Christ. Only those in Christ are going to be saved. There's no other way to get to God. I don't care what somebody tells you. Jesus is the door. There is no back door to get to God. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No man comes to the Father except through Christ. Now, 
with that said, how can you dispute that? That eliminates religion. That eliminates everything you see in here contrary to Christ. That's what that does. I get, let me tell you, I ain't certified as a, 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 a apologist for nothing. I'm certified in Christian apologetics. Now, if you want to know what that means, that means I am a defender of the gospel. Bring it. Now, this person who called me a false teacher from this uh, another country, I forgot the name of the country. I was so busy laughing, but I, and the Lord said, just send him scripture, plant the seeds. I sent about maybe 10 and I haven't heard from him yet, but he was uh, eager to call me a false teacher because it's against what his religion is teaching. Jesus said, no man comes unto the father except by me. And that's what Jesus said. And let me get back. I don't want to digress too much. We almost finished. Now, as the priest looked up, at the ceiling above, they were overshadowed by the wings of the cherubim. Now, this is a picture of Jesus's, his care and his protection for his church. Now, as the psalmist says in 17, 8, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Saints, um, I'm going to stop right here. This is the end of episode eight. I can't wait to get to episode nine. We, we are getting deeper and deeper. But for those of you under the sound of my voice, if you have, because I have people listening to um, my show or my teachings from all over the world, even Singapore. Wow. And my hope is that you get saved. My hope is that you are finally hearing the gospel in its entirety and it in its purity. You are being told who Jesus is. I know it hasn't been explained to you like this before, but you can't hear without a preacher. That's what the Bible says. You can't hear without a preacher. And how can they preach unless they are sent? Everybody is not sent. You can't scare me into not preaching the gospel. I don't care what you say about me because God have, didn't give me this revelation to shut up and be quiet and sit on it. And I'm going to preach the gospel until I can't preach it anymore. But it's for your good. You know, it is God's will that every man be saved. Now, why does the Bible say it's his will? Because not everybody is going to be saved. It, it's, it's what God wants. So the information is out there, saints. Either you receive it, you believe it, and you run with it, or either you hear it and you reject it and you perish. Because those who are outside of Christ under the sound of my voice right now are spiritually dead. They are spiritually disconnected from God. That's what it means to be spiritually dead. It means to be disconnected from God. And the only way you can be reconciled to God or reconnected to God or connected to God for the first time is through his son, Jesus the Christ. I hope you understand this. So in Romans chapter 10, verses 9, 10, and 11. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's the only way you can get saved. That's the only way you can get born again. And verse 11 explains to you what verse 9 and 10 means. So it's my hope, saints. That's why I'm sharing the gospel. I can keep all this to myself because I'm saved and I'm sealed until the day of redemption. Not until, but unto the day of redemption. And those of you who has sincerely confessed Christ and sincerely believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, meaning that he is alive right now, seated at God's right hand, according to Peter, 
you, man can't unsave you. You are saved forever. You are saved eternally. Do you know what eternally means? There's no end to eternity. And man, like Jesus said, cannot pluck you out of his hand, nor can man pluck you out of his father's hands. Jesus said, and I quote, I and my father are one. You can't dispute that. I and my father are one. So man can't unsave you. I don't care what man save you. Honey, after having done all to stand, continue to stand. Those who endures until the end shall be saved. So with that said, saints, I can't wait to um, uh, share episode nine with you. I want you to peace out. All right. I hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this particular episode, please send your questions or comments to talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com or you can send me a direct message through my podcast by clicking on the message button located on the homepage of all my podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcast, and Radio Public to submit your remarks. You can also support my podcast financially by accessing the homepage on my podcast and clicking on the support this podcast button. Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated. I am praying for God to give you a return on your donation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6, the apostle Paul says as it relates to sowing a seed and I quote, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Hallelujah. God will give you a return on your gift of love as long as you sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart. Now until next time, brothers and sisters, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D, rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. I thank each of you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.